Hey everybody, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. So, before we get started, I want to thank everybody who listened to last week's episode on Season 2 of Kakigurui, which is on Netflix now, and you can go check it out. I want to thank everybody who's also listening to the Evangelion episode still. It's going to turn out to be one of my highest performing episodes in a while. Surprise, surprise. Um, I'm actually re- I've got one more episode left in my rewatch of the Netflix dub, meaning, like, my rewatch of the series in Netflix dub form, but that series knows how to make somebody feel bad, man, so I'm avoiding watching the last episode because I know it's coming and I'm like, I'm not here for it right now, it's fucking hot, and... This is probably going to be a short episode. That's how hot it is. <laughs> but I'm just not into the, like, emotional roller coaster that the last episode of that show takes you on. Because it's, it's got some high highs and some low lows, and those steep inclines are basically vertical drops. Um, but... <laughs> I have been more and more interested in seeing those rebuild movies since they look re- since they seem real pretty in these stuff, yo. And rebuild four, I think they released. So if you're listening to this on the night it comes out, they released ten minutes of rebuild four today. If you're listening tomorrow, they listen. They released ten minutes of it yesterday. Um, but. It, it, I'll believe that movie's out when, like, I can press a button and order a Blu-ray, <laughs> um, if I so choose. But also, they're calling it, they're not calling it Rebuild 4, they're calling it Rebuild 3.33 plus 1.11, or 3.0 plus 1.0, which is a hilarious, shitty way of fucking with people <laughs> that I'm super into. Thank you, Anno. Um... But, other than that, the other thing I wanted to mention is, if you are going to Liberty City Anime Convention, which is in the Times Square Marriott from the on the 9th, 10th, and 11th of August, then you can come check me out in person. You can, like, see the weird beardo that I am in person. <laughs> and that's because I'm doing three panels. I'll probably promote this heavily on my Instagram and Twitter, but I am bringing back my, um, Full Metal and Beyond panel, which is a panel where I talk about, with a lot of knowledge, trust me, if you, if this is your first time hearing about, hearing this podcast, this is your first episode, A, welcome, B, if you're like, why is he doing a a panel on disability, that's because I am a childhood brain cancer survivor, and I am myself physically disabled. Not mentally. I want to put a hard point on that. Not mentally. I know <laughs> I may not seem the smartest in these podcasts, but that's mostly because I'm staring at a computer screen watching a recording program, and sometimes the information gets away from me. But it's a very well-researched fairly exhaustive panel about the representation of disability in anime. I am also doing two other panels there. The second one that I'm super excited about doing is Welcome to Your Cyberpunk Future, which is all about the ramifications of kind of the ghost in the shell's supposed cyberpunk society that is Nobody think that people think through, but it's just kind of glossed over in most cyberpunk fiction. Like you don't think through who makes your body, who owns your body, how you pay for it, who get who has enough money to get the privilege of getting a new body, what all of that means, and that's kind of what my panel is an introduction to. It's really meant to start someone who loves cyberpunk for all the right reasons, but doesn't hasn't really stopped and sought 
that hard about who will make the who will make the raw machinery of a human body in like a cyberpunk world like will that mean sony makes people's eyes because they they're great at cameras will that mean mitsubishi makes like a whole body and will sell it to you and you get it and you get your body serviced like you get your car serviced um so that's the second panel i'm doing um the third panel is a returning panel that people told me they had a lot of fun in but I didn't have much time to prepare for it because I had a stomach bug for, like, the month before it. <laughs> um, but that's a panel called Mommy and Daddy Hate You, a history to sh uh, guide to shitty anime parenting, which is especially present now that Evangelion is back out in the world. I'm gonna have to do a bigger thing about Gendo. I can just feel it, um, even though everybody knows he's in there. I just, I'm gonna need to, but that that's a fun, like, hey, everybody show up and laugh at my jokes for, you know, 45 minutes about bad anime dads and horrible anime moms, and that's a, that's a fun time, and I'm gonna be doing some different stuff with this panel, basically to expand the amount of time that <laughs> that panel takes, because... I, I had 45 minutes, and I did not do a great job of stretching out 20, 20 minutes worth of material to 45 minutes. So, you know, I'm reworking that. That'll be bigger and better this year. So, whatever your thing is, if you like this podcast, definitely come check me out on Saturday and Sunday, like, it'll be in the programs, you'll see either, um, Full Metal and Beyond, an exploration disability anime, Welcome to Your Cyberpunk Future, and Mommy and Daddy Hate You, um, I think Mommy and Daddy Hate You is later in the day on Sunday, and the other two are kind of, like, midday and later in the day on Saturday, but definitely come check them out on August 10th and 11th. I'm really looking forward to doing them. I hope to see you there. But, that has not, well, kind of something, Mommy and Daddy Hate You has kind of something to do with what we're talking about today. And that's not so much a single series, as it is a kind of creator. And that creator that we're talking about, that mangaka, primarily, mangaka and writer, is Rumiko Takahashi. Now, for those of you who have heard the word, the, like, name, the, like, name Rumiko Takahashi and don't know who she is, 
this is going to be really interesting for you. For those of you who do know who she is, this will f be a fun ride in her stuff, basically. But, for all intents and purposes, before, you know, Ava mutated anime, basically. Because that's really what it did, is it... It, it was like, it was the stone cast in the river that rippled out and affected, like, anime as a whole. And that's part of the reason why, like, if you see any Ava, like, stuff, and Ava had been, like, being pumped out so much lately because it is back on Netflix, and it's an important show to the history of anime. And moreover, more specifically giant robot anime, but it is important to anime as a whole, certainly. But, arguably, just as important is the single creative force of a woman, a mangaka, who is prolific in the 80s and 90s, significantly less prolific now, but you can still, you can feel her narrative trappings in basically any anime where a girl loves a guy or a guy loves a girl or any kind of romance story, you can feel the trappings of Rumiko Takahashi. And you can also feel the trappings in, you know, big, bombastic action shows as well, because those are... Also, she also played around with those a lot. And I said in the intro that she had something to do with bad anime parents, and that's because largely the one of the big series she's known for is a show called Ranma One Half, in which the adult characters are just all insane fucking assholes. They're just all jerks. Um, but so. One of the things I find interesting about Rumiko Takahashi's work is her characters kind of feign to kind of feign dimensionality. And what I what I mean by that is I don't mean that they're 3D character models or anything like that. I mean they feign like a personality, almost. They, they, they're really more archetypes, almost like, almost like a star system of sorts. Like, um, what's his face? Um, the the creative Astro Boy used to use. In that, there are archetypes that she uses across every series, and you. You recognize those archetypes the second you see them. So, in that way, um, you recognize bits of Ranma across all of her series. You recognize bits of Ranma in Inuyasha from Inuyasha. You recognize bits of him in um, Maison from Maison Ikoku. You recognize... Um, or the main character Maison Koku. I don't know if his name is Maison. I don't remember. Um, you recognize bits of pieces of Rama in the main character in, in the main darling character from Ereseyasura, and that's this kind of like brash, slightly perverse, but not always intending to be hard-headed asshole. <laughs> And so, the other interesting thing about Rumiko Takahashi is, with the exception probably of, um, what's it called? I can't believe Inuyasha, her female characters, uh, while they can be strong, like Kagone, like Kagone from Inuyasha, or Akane from, um, What's it called? From Rama One Half. That's gonna happen a lot because there's a lot of shows. She she has done a lot of prolific work, including uh one that was on more recently that I 
don't think took off much, and I don't remember the name of, so sorry. Um, but while those characters can, while her female character can be strong, they also have, like, weakness built into their personality at key points in a way that is not great. Just from a, like, 21st century standpoint, it's very, it feels very old-fashioned. It feels very, like, Akane is a judo master, but still needs Ranma to help her sometimes. Like, no, fuck off. Akane is, like, a badass and can do whatever the fuck she wants. And yes, oftentimes in shows like Ranma and in Yasha, uh, the male characters have some sort of foil. Like in Ranma's case, Ranma turns into a girl when doused with hot water, when doused with hot water, back into a boy when doused, no, doused, turned into a, reverse that basically, d turns into a girl when doused with cold water, back into a boy when doused with hot water. I, like, that's his foil, and they use that for A, comedic effect, and B, like, as a actual foil to his plans, like, things go well until he falls, until he falls into, into a lake, and then all of a sudden, he's, like, he's a chick, and he can eat, and he has to deal with that. But, or even someone like Inuyasha, the character of Inuyasha, wears a Kirk necklace, and when, and I shit you not if you haven't seen Inuyasha, when Akane says, shit boy, he slams into the ground with, like, the cheesiest friggin' slide transition from Windows Slide Maker or whatever the hell, I have a Mac, um, from, um, from PowerPoint, like, motion blur effect, just slams down to the ground, leaving, like, a body imprint where he was, um, and so that's, like, his foil, and Akane can use that as basically, um, spousal abuse? <laughs> For that, for, for the entire series. Um, and the other thing that Rumiko Takahashi is not great at is ending her stories. And what I mean by that is they have no technical end. So, to give you an example of how prevalent that is, is I looked up Rumiko Takahashi just to, like, get an idea of like, oh yeah, that shows hers, oh yeah, that shows hers, oh yeah, that shows hers. I kind of know the lay, lay of the land already, but I always, when I want to talk about creator, I usually look them up and, like, read a little bit about them and blah, 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 blah. She was born in October, all that shit. But the third, so, like, the first thing was Rumiko Takahashi married. Second t thing was, like, Rumiko cut. Rumiko Takahashi Rich, which we'll get to in a second, because that's hilarious. And the third thing is, is Inuyasha, oh no, the third, second thing is, Rumiko Takahashi Finished, which is what we're talking about right now. The fourth thing was Rumiko Takahashi, like, Network Worse, or some crazy shit, which we'll get to. Um, because it is important. Um, the third thing, though, is, is Inuyasha finished yet? And the reason why people punch that into Google all the time is because that's a genuine question. And she leaves because... So... There are kinds of eras of anime, basically. And, um... I... Started watching in the, ni in the 90s. And the 90s was full of VHSs, but also full of, like, the slow drip of one-at-a-time complete series. And one of the most expensive complete series to get, especially in the VHS era, which I was a part of, believe it or not, because I'm old. It's the reason why I have enough knowledge to do panels at conventions. Um, <laughs> but, and this podcast to name another important point, apparently. Um, 
the thing was is that her series were always the most expensive, and that's because other than a shonen show like Dragon Ball Z or a shoujo show like Sailor Moon, the next thing with the most episodes was usually a Rumiko Takahashi adaptation. Um, there was, I think, Neighborhood Stories, which is a slice of life thing from Ayazawa with like 95 episodes, but I am not super sure that came out in the era of VHS, and what I mean, and the reason why I'm talking specifically about VHS is because now you can download from the internet, now you can subscribe to Crunchyroll, you can subscribe to all the services like I do, Crunchyroll, Hulu, High Dive, Basically, I have a, think of a subscription service. I have a subscription. I have a subscription to it, except for you named it Verve because I don't. I don't care. Um, <laughs> I am already subscribed to all the pieces out of that thing that I want, and I don't care about that. Like the rest of the stuff on that thing, so I just don't. But um, I'm not saying it's bad service. I just not for me. I'm that's me saying that as someone who beta tested that service actually <laughs> before it was bought by um I think it's Elation that owns Verve and Crunchyroll now. Um well AT and T technically, but whatever. Um corporations are taking us on uh are taking us over. Um but Rumiko Takahashi shows, because they were hundreds of episodes, were shelf-sized VHS box sets that were, like, super long boxes, or they were basically all the all the VHS tapes lined up to form a picture, to form, like, a long-running scroll picture. And I remember I had a friend in high school, who, or in middle school, who had all those VHSs. I was like, oh, so we're just talking about you being a rich braggadocious jerk now. Okay, that's great. Sure. Um, to be clear, she wasn't. She did alright. She still does alright, from what I know. But, um, she had, from what, from my recollection, that box set. But, the reason why they hit this many episodes is because her style of storytelling, like, will they, won't they, turns into shenanigans for hundreds of episodes, but then winds up with, like, but there's always, like, a hint of real love in there to, like, pull the viewer along to the next second. God. It was really popular for the time it was out, for the time she was most prolific, which, once again, was mid-80s to, like, 2005-ish, around there. Um... And also, it her property produced every once in a while things like Ranma One Half, Big Trouble in Meke Long China, which is a which is an odd but beautiful and interesting and insane rom com movie. Um, I believe from the nineties, and also a show um movie I've talked about on this show. Ursayasa of Beautiful Dreamers. And that movie is this, like, insane head trip of a surreal dreamscape of a movie that is kind of unlike anything else, really. Um, and it's... So, combined her popularity with the fact that her properties burst some real genuine masterpieces. Um, and also, burst commercial success, which is really important, because a, a show can be great, but if it doesn't achieve commercial success, unfortunately, the way that media is produced, even in America, not just Japan, there's no love there for it, because there's no money to go behind a thinking shift, basically. 
And the reason why, and that popularity contributes to the problem of her shows never finishing. Because there's always appetite for those shows. You know somebody who loves Inuyasha. You know somebody who loves Ranma. And they have seen every episode in case of over and over and over again. Some of my favorite openings and endings are from Rumiko Takahashi shows. My favorite ending, which I'll probably put at the beginning of the show, is um is the I think the second ending of Inyasha or that's one of my favorite endings rather. My one of my favorite openings is the original Ranma running sequence where they're all running in different directions. That's a great opening. I'll probably put that at the beginning of this show. But because they never end, ultimately that kind of storytelling is unsustainable. So people basically got fed up with her stories, with her story, with the style of story she tells, which is less arc-based and more just what I would call life-based, which is you aren't showing up to the show to just see arcs. Like, Dragon Ball Z is a series of arcs. Like, the, the, um, the Radish Saga, the, the, Na- the Namek, the Namek Saga, the, you know, Super Saiyan Saga, all, all of those things are arcs, and they all come together to form one cohesive story, but you're given chunks that start and end, start and end, start and end, and then eventually it does end, like, 900 episodes later or some bullshit, but Rumiko Takahashi is doing something like One Piece is doing, but without the idea that everything takes forever. That, like, what could be fit into an episode takes 19 seasons. Um, like in my head, One Piece is basically, they're still trying to free Ace from the, from the white beard pirate nightmare at, like, actually no, I saw an episode where they were in pull down, so, you know, a little further than that, but, like, One Piece stretches things out. What Rumiko Takahashi's shows do, however, is, yes, they'll have, like, two, three-part episodes, but, most of the episodes will be contained, and it'll be a misadventure of some combination of the characters. And they'll move on to the next misadventure. And along the way, they'll add more and more characters, usually a female love interest, to compete with Akane for Ranma's affection somehow. Um, and it's, u- it's usually um, Genma's fault. Genma Sawatome's fault. Um... But, um, because he, like, bargained his son's betrothal, like, marriage ability away for, like, a sandwich and, like, a foot rub. Uh, I shit you not. Um, but, (laughs) uh, I talk about him in my, um, Mommy and Daddy Hate You panel, and that's usually, like, a good chuckle of, like, you want to marry his son? I mean, you got a sandwich, don't you? Just give it to him and, and you're done. It's fine. Don't ask questions. It'll take a couple years, but you'll get your way. Promise. Promise. <laughs> but, the, it's like, so, those episodes just go and go and go and go and go and go and go. And, which makes a great line in my, um, recording software, hilariously. But, um, those, that gets tiring. I mean, look at how many people dropped right the fuck off of Naruto with all the filler. And the reason why that happens in shows like Naruto is because they have this big overarching story that you just wish they'd get back to. And at the point at which it feels like they've dropped the ball and they've lost the storyline. 
but what makes Rami Kota- what made what ultimately bit Rami Kotakaji's popularity in the butt was there was no overall storyline. There was only the atmosphere of the show and the thought that eventually one day, millions of years in the future, these two characters will couple up and live happily ever after. Now, I think that her shortest... I, I don't know what her shortest show is. I know that Maison Koku is around 90, 95 episodes. I know that Rama is around 300, I believe. Um, Inyasha had technically never ended, but I think is in the five to 700 range. Um, and also, I don't think... Let me put it this way. I think Ranma one half has an ending episode. I do not think it is the end of the storyline. Um, and it's, it's so these, all these shows, having made all these shows, have actually done something for Rumiko Takahashi, and that is, she is one of the richest people in Japan. And I, I think, I forget what Japanese publication did an article on her. But they went to her home to interview her, and apparently, <laughs> the best, the best weird rich person thing ever. Um, she lives in a pretty modest home with not much in the way of, like, super fancy, at the time at least, this was probably mm, years ago, I read this article, if I'm honest. Um, she didn't have much in her house, the most expensive thing was a top-of-the-line, biggest shit, like, we're talking, like, 80-inch motherfucking television. And the the interviewer clearly was like, wait, why, 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 of all the things, do you have just the most insane TV? And she's like, to watch soap operas. And so that, that is how, that explains exactly why Rumiko Takahashi's shows never end. It's because they're not designed to. They're designed to be the spinning wheel. The way something like Friends is, the way something like Cheers was, the way old network syndicated TV is designed to go on forever and never stop. Actually, that's not true. It, 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 her shows are designed to stop at any point. They're not designed to stop after three seasons. They're designed to keep going for up until the point at which another season is ordered, and then just go beyond that. And um, if you watch, if you've watched Game of Thrones this year, if you watched the ending of Game of Thrones this year, you know the kind of perilousness of ending a show after that long. After, you know, after seven seasons of stuff in that show, ultimately, you have a lot of, like, history with your viewers. The difference is, with something like Game of Thrones, is ultimately it did end. It made an end of it. Rama One Half is like, we're on season 65 of Game of Thrones and nobody's watching and it's just insane. Um, you know, Tyrion Lannister is like hosting a three ring circus and has cat ears for whatever reason. Um, and that's ultimately the biggest hurdle with knowing Rumiko Takahashi's work, if you're not already familiar with it, is. In the, well, in the case of something like Urethiathera, it's not available many places outside of Japan. But also, um, in the case of something like Rama One Half, the sheer amount of size and the amount of bloat from just filler versus not even episodes you need to see, but scenes in episodes that you probably need to see, that, like, get you main story beats, 
is just bananas. And I will say I have a soft spot in my heart for, you know, will they, won't they, take forever, bullshit, melodrama anime because, like I said, I grew up in the era of VHS. I grew up with, like, you know, reading All My Goddess. I grew up um, reading Ranma One Half. I grew up watching Dragon Ball Z. I grew up watching Yu Hakusho. I grew up watching these huge shows. I grew up watching Inuyasha. I used to watch that show. Mostly because it was fucking on before whatever I actually wanted to watch at night, which would Um, but... I grew up watching Sailor Moon. Hell. Um... I like Sailor Moon a lot, actually. I think it's interesting. But... The thing with... Rumiko Takahashi is... If you know her story, you know those worlds... Um, how should I put this? You don't need to rewatch the whole series. You can just dip your toe in for, you know, an evening or an afternoon with, you know, Ranma and the gang, or, or like, a movie with, um, with the cast of Urusei Asura, or an episode with Meizana Koku, of Meizana Koku, or, like, a looking at the thumbnail of Inuyasha and be like, I don't want to watch Inuyasha. That seems like it's terrible. And moving away from it. <laughs> um, but, you know, or, you know, looking up the ending of Inuyasha and be like, ah, yeah, this is pretty. I like the train in the snow. It's real good. Um, but, it's not. Her work is entertainment, and the problem with that is because she's writing entertainment in the way that soap operas write them, she she falls in the same traps. Like, people ask her about trans identity with Ranma, and she replies with, I don't, I, I don't attempt to navigate social issues in my, in my work. I just thought it would be a fun, simple idea, and that people would like it, and I think I was right. But the reality is, is that, you know, Ranma is a staple, is a, is a flashpoint for a lot of people in the world who identify as trans, because it exposes them to that idea, exposes them to those feelings. Um, Inuyasha is a great demonstration of a abusive relationship in which a woman is the abuser. Um, <laughs> no, um, I, you know, these shows are, I heard something recently, like, everything is inherently political because even if you're apolitical, it, that is response to the political, which means it loops back in. But these shows have, Ramiko Takahashi's ideas have Moments of brilliance, for one reason or another. Urusei Asura is about an alien who looks like an oni, who falls in love with an asshole, um, and it is kind of endearing to see her love him as an asshole, despite him being just the biggest asshole. Um... And then there is Rama one half, which is Akane. Akane gets forced into an arranged marriage with an asshole who doesn't want to marry her anyway. And through being forced to live together, they basically grow on each other in a very real and meaningful way. Now, here comes the rub with all the, like, stuff about her show never ending and having 300 episodes per show, and all that stuff. And this is true of all long-running long, long shows, and this is true of why shows like Naruto have such great, grounded, 
world with rules and purpose and all of that stuff is you'll only feel for those characters because of the sheer amount of time you spend with them if you're watching Ranmo, if you're watching, you know, Inuyasha, or if you're watching Urusei if you're watching Meizana Koku. The sheer amount of time you spend with those characters means that you are endeared and, in and committed to their relationship. And that's... That's really impressive. It's it's not something that if you've ever seen a bad romance show, a, a bad romantic rom com anime, you know that when the it doesn't feel right, when it feels weird, when it feels stale. I mean, um, the show called CanCon, which is a perverse and insane fucking reference, even for me, um. And it's basically like a young bo uh, a young boy encounters a fox girl and merged with the fox girl through making out in order to um you know defend himself or the world or whatever and just the romance happens so quickly so immediately it doesn't it just never catches it feels. It feels lurid because A, he looks like he's two and she's like stacked like Mount Fuji. Um, but it just doesn't feel right. Um, another one, another one, um, is a show like, once again, and I, I want to be clear, the. A thing you'll, when I'm bringing up comparison shows to this, you'll notice a theme. Um, another show is, that feels off is New Testament, like, New Testament Devil Sister, or whatever it's called. I forget what the exact order of those words are, but those are words, if you type those words into Google, you'll get it. It, where, uh, this demon hunter guy gets a you know, stepsister who turns out to be the, you know, next big bad of the underworld and he's got a protector. And that relationship feels weird and off. It takes... It takes one of two things to write a good romance. It takes either exceptional writing and exceptional, like circumstances created by that writing, like something like um, the Monogatari series and Senjo Gahara and Takagi, um, or it takes time. And in spits and spurts, Rama, Rumiko Takahashi's work has exceptional writing. But more than anything else, it has the time that it needs to force you to just love its characters, to love Ukio, the Okonomiyaki cook, to love Shampoo, to love Ryoga, the perverted asshole of a jerk, to love Gendo, to love, you know, Ibuki. Ranma gives you that time. So does Meizana Koku, so does Inuyasha, so does um, Urasayasura, but where it falls apart is if you lean on the tropes you're using to make characters out of too much. Like in the best version of this is Inuyasha. Kagome is almost a three-dimensional character. At, 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 her, at her best of times, she truly is, but most of the time, she's, a, you know, a high school sketch of a, whine, of a whiny high school girl. Um, but um, the other characters have this kind of flatness to them, even at their best. And that flattening out 
give you part of my metaphor, nothing to hold on to. Nothing to, like, grab onto for the rest of the show, so you can only sustain for so long without just dropping off. Because you've had enough of black hole hand man, you know, groping the girl who is ostensibly his girlfriend and should know him by now and should know this is just what she's getting into. But she always smacks him, and that's the joke. On the, like, third time of seeing that joke, it's like, oh, yeah, that happened. On the 31st time of seeing that joke, it's like, oh, click, we're done. Gotta go do something better with my time. And you heard me mention other shows, like, um, New Testament Sister Devil, and, like, CanCon, and, um, you know, Mabarajo is a great one, is a great, like, um, Negima, those... Negima less so. Negima comes from fall. Negima's apple falls from a different tree named, um, what's his face? Um, fuck. Ken something. But um, anyway, it's another the guy who wrote Love Hina basically is the well that Negima draws from. But those show even something like Negima and Love Hina are influenced by. Rumiko Takahashi work because if Ava is the like stone cast in the water that ripples out and affects anime in its way, Rumiko Takahashi is another hand throwing stones of her own. Generally, the stone said Ranma on it and it plops and it waves out, and you get ca- you get characters like Ranma, like Akane, like. Ryoga, like, um, Shampoo, like all those characters in other shows. Or you get bits and pieces of them, because, um, like video games take and borrow systems from each other, the same thing happens in all media and anime. It's not excluded from that. People see things that are working, they see what's popular, and they, you know endeavor to adapt that and take it and put it into their shows. Um, they see that people, that fans keep buying Ranma, so they, like, make these big will-they-won't-they relationships. And sometimes that's the center of a show, like, the show like Toradora. Sometimes they sneak it into a show like Spice and Wolf, where that whole show is about those two, the two main characters' relationship, and you always have a question in the back of your mind: what What's happening here? Because your brain has been trained by anime to recognize those beats, so even the allusion to those beats registers and like flips a switch that means you're watching for for something. Um, and shows like Spice and Wolf do that on purpose. Um, the relationship, the, like, dynamic and relationship of Wenry and Ed in Full Metal, um, that is a storyline that people can grab onto in that show. And, yes, there's more stuff. The relationship between Yusuke... And what's her face? And and his girlfriend in Yu Yu Hakusho is, you know, that's something for people to grab onto. And yes, you may not show up for these shows, but for these those aspects of those shows, you may show up for the Dark Tournament arc, but you love the episode when he goes and sees his girlfriend when they him and his girlfriend and have a like lovely hangout moment under a tree when he's asleep. And, you know, all of those bits and pieces add to why people come back to a show, because they remember the tender moment, they, but they also they remember the fight scene, but they also remember the tender moment. A, a show like 
Ranma, especially, specializes in those tender moments, even in the midst of all the insanity and stupidity it has in it. And that kind of mastery is something that Rumiko Takahashi had built up over years. I guess if I'm saying anything, you know, if you haven't seen a Rumiko Takahashi show, um, she's certainly made herself part of the anime canon of the anime lexicon. I would certainly suggest it. My suggestion would not be Inuyasha because that will make you hate yourself in, like, 50 episodes worth of time. Um, I would suggest going out and watching something like Rama One Half, which is available on Hulu. But all that said, I hope you liked this episode. It was a bit odd, I know, but um, I still hope you liked it. If you did, you can subscribe to this podcast in whatever you're listening to podcast on these days, basically, and um, give it a five star rating. That really helps. And if you're going to Liberty City Anime Con, definitely check me out. I'm doing panels, I'm doing two panels on Saturday and one panel on Sunday, um, but until next time, my name is Alex, you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio, and I'll talk to you later.